Welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast. And this week, we're going to be looking back in last week's um, round two of the Six Nations. Uh, and we will be reviewing the games and the wins and the losses as Ireland are looking quite imperious and unstoppable in their march to another Grand Slam. My name is Tala. I am with Sean today. And let's actually get things started uh, with our first phase, Sean. But yeah, so this is a fun one. So we've asked our dirt trackers to predict the next four World Player of the Year winners. Sean, do you want to start or should I start by some of the responses? Well, okay. So I did, I'll, I'll send mine. So I went, I, this thing, the thing is I nearly had um, the Irish guys and no South African guys, which was a bit of a bother for me. And I was, <laughs> I, as I mentioned on the, on the group, I couldn't remember like what, what months, like what sort of window the, this criteria worked on. And you told me it's from November to the end of October. So I the World Cup so. doesn't come into play. So I need to, yeah, well, Atala says the World Cup doesn't come into play. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so I had to look forward to this year and try and figure out what was going on. So I've gone Grant Williams for this year. I, Ooh, wow. I think, so I have gone in, in, in order of what I think it will happen. So, um, but I think a South African needs to get in the mix. I don't know what's happening with Peter Steph de Toy and Quacha and Irbin and everybody. And so I don't know. So I've gone with Grant Williams because I think that he'll be good enough to get more starts and he's going to cook. Next year is the Lions tour. And I've had to go, or I've gone with the Lions play and I think the Lions will win that series. So I've gone with Dan Sheehan. Then... Mm-hmm. The, the following year is that the World Cup year. The following no. year, oh no, in between the World Cups, I've gone with Mark Nawakani Tawase. I think he'll come back just before the World Cup, doesn't he? Oh, I think the timelines might, yeah, I think he comes back no, like don't, late they in don't, they don't merge. Mm, okay, so no, no, scratch that one. But then I've gone with Joe McCarthy. So Ooh. I'm happy to go with Joe McCarthy the year before the World yeah. Cup and Marky Mark the year of the World Cup. Ooh, it's nice um, and spicy. But that's, yeah, I think, I think he's good. And when he comes back, hopefully he'll come back and do some goods, some business. But anyway, I like that. Let's see who you got. May, I'll start with just going through some of the responses. I think um, Will Channels, um, his, um, <laughs> I think he's probably closest to the right mark, which is DuPont four times. Uh, I think that's. <laughs> a decent bet that you can take home. That he won't be this year, though. This next one, he won't be. Are we sure? He hasn't played in the Six Nations. <laughs> firstly, I I wouldn't put it above World Rugby to be like, look, you've made. That's also a very valid. You made the point. sevens very super valid. popular. We'll give you World Rugby fifteens and sevens player of the year. Um, <laughs> combine just yeah, just combine the whole thing. Darren Katz has Joe McCarthy. Greg Aldred, Roman Tamak, and Damien Willemsa. Um, the scrumming fly half has um, Louis Bielberry, um, Cameron Roygaard, Kalen Doris, and Kanan Moody. I like that list because it feels like those are like the, I think all of them are under 25 or just about 25. I was just going to say, yeah, that, that's a young gun. That's, that's a serious young gun yeah. group. So he's like, the future's now. They're going to take over. They're going to win these awards, which it's quite cool. I mean, that's obviously, if those four players are the best in the world, that's some exciting rugby to look forward to. Then we get to Jason Gilby. He has Will Jordan, 
funnily enough, hasn't been mentioned yet. Uh, Dupont, Doris, and LBB. Then that's a good shout. Yeah, especially I, I honestly think uh, Louis. Yes, but I think Beal Barry will get a nomination in the next four years, definitely. Yeah, even I mean, maybe even this based year. Based on that try from Saturday, maybe even this year. But it's it's not just the try. It's he does a lot of he's work. So, eh? For a youngster, he does yeah. a lot of work, and he's rapid. I want, and I mean, we can start talking about it a little bit now. But that was what impressed me about his performance. I was doing a rewatch um today, well, a watch actually, to be honest, um today, and what impressed me was just <laughs> his. Like some of the, I mean, Scotland is a difficult team to defend against when they have their backline humming. And some of his reads as to who to tackle, who to go for, how to drift on from one person to another. Like he's a, he's a, like he's got the experience already packed down for that. Like he's so good at, um, at covering um, his wing. He's good at his positioning. And obviously we know he's good at taking chances. Yes. And, and you're right on that. He, he makes really good reads on defense and it's starting to become much more evident. I think over the last four years, four plus years, we've realized obviously how much work the South African, the Springbok wingers have to do. Oh. And that's obviously by us watching the Springbok winners and the decisions they make, we are um, kind of expanding our views. And you're right, like he comes in, he tends to slide quite well, but it doesn't always have to, you know. Um, he's, and how old is he? <laughs> 21. 20? Ridiculous. 21? ridiculous it's it's stupid it's stupid and the pace he's got like if he loses pace moving forward he's still going to be mm. quick that's the other thing that upsets me like <laughs> he can drop off some pace in five years and still be ridiculous yeah um rian low obviously at ringo we obviously are all fans of them he has um even Elizabeth winning one finally um dupont obviously taking one Audi severe um after he comes back from japan and a nice surprising one ollie lawrence um coming in oh i would love that that would be very interesting i mean there's a the young english players are also quite interesting it's just gonna be cool to see who of them is the one that really rises up to be you know that world-class player and you know best in the best in the world type player. So that's gonna be quite cool to see but ollie lawrence is not old and the thing is, uh -uh. is he's big and england are missing that they're yeah. missing whether so Manu and Oli Lawrence have both, I think, been brought back into the England squad. Um, so they're back from fitness, uh, they're back from injury. But they need one. They need one. I, I, I'd hate it if they put both of them in because I think Slade's playing a little bit better. But they have to have a big carrying guy in 12 or 13. And because they don't, I don't understand why they don't use Freddie Stewart more. But anyway, that's the story for another day. It's the story for maybe the next few minutes. Okay, my one. I'm gonna. I think I have the order as well. So 2024, I'm backing the box to have a big year. None of this rebuild rubbish that you guys like talking about. Go 13 out of 13. Win everything. Just kill opposition. Like I think while you have this like vice like grip on them mentally, mentally, and Damon Willemsa rises up as the player of the year. Um, Storm is also going into like maybe a deep run in the URC or the Champions Cup. He takes it for 2024. 2025, like you said, Lions year. I'll go for Kalen Doris. Funny enough, we both are going for Aussies in that year. <laughs> I think that's quite clear of how, who we think is going to win the, the, um, the Lions series. Listen, Joe's going to have a big, a big couple of eyeballs on, on that series coming up, no. so I'm sure he's going to want to upset. But 
I want to say, can they turn it around in such short time? But I mean, Rusty Erasmus like basically just said, hold my beer. So it can be done, but I think there may be a little bit more shit in Australian rugby than there was in, in South African rugby, even though we were down in the dumps. Yeah, I mean, we haven't really, I mean, the story's coming out now, but the news about the Rebels is, yeah, really scary. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, but yeah, so Caelan Doris for that year, but yeah, good year to bet on an Irish player to win that one. 26, random year. I could see that. I really want to say um, Sion 2, Pelo 2, but I, I don't know if um, Scotland's going to be that successful and or, um, or Glasgow. So I'll say an All Black comes in, he takes it um, to the top. I'm going to just randomly go Ethan Blackadder because I just rate him a lot. <laughs> what a shock. And also the All Blacks come in just a year before the World Cup and become favorites again. I'm happy with that. Yeah, I think Scott Robinson is going to take us sort of a few years back into All Blacks finding their feet, just being dominant for that two, three-year period in between World Cups and maybe not winning the whole thing. And then 2027, the king comes back to his throne. Antoine Dupont avenges everyone, basically goes on like a Kill Bill type of like streak and tries to like <laughs> murder every team that's trying to stop him in the last few years and wins his World Player of the Year. Sounds good. Yeah. But It'd be hard to not have Antoine Dupont in there. I didn't yeah. just because I was bucking the system but i, I really think, wanted uh, to find a prop case but i feel like all the good props that you can make cases for they're all a bit old already so if there was a time for props it would have been maybe the last two years with like ox kitsov malova by furlong ox is in, ox, they're all like in ox could like, have a shot yeah i mean ox could have a shot nine, isn't he i don't know but he's got a world cup in him the nice thing about Ox is he's, there's a little bit more to him than just scrummaging, so he kind of yeah. puts his name out there, you know? Like, Fair enough. You know what I mean? Like he, we don't see much of, of Furlong and De Groot and all that sort of stuff Ooh, kind of around. Well, Maybe we just don't yeah. follow them too much on social media, but Ox is there, you know? From a, from a yeah. marketing point of view, I think he's, he's done enough. He's got the goods on the field, so there's, there's a shot. But it could be the first one, eh? Yes. I would love for it to happen. Me too. Okay. Yeah. So obviously lots of world-class players we can talk about there. So let's get into the action from the weekend. So the first game of the weekend, probably the game of the weekend was Scotland against France. France edging that one 20 points to 16. Sean, I think the only place to start is the last minute um, with um, the disallowed try. Obviously there's a lot of hand-wringing in Scotland right now about that. Um, I want to hear your thoughts about it and yeah, what you're thinking and then we can discuss it quickly. I think it was the right call according to the law. Like, I, I don't, like you can see the ball down, but you can't actually see the ball on the grass. I know that sounds weird and I know I'm going to get into shit for this, but you can't physically see it down. And you can see it down, but you can't see it on the ground, if that makes sense. The, the thing is, is... I saw, I saw the referee getting a lot of heat for how could, he not, how could he not say that it was a try and that he had to go upstairs. Like, he was clearly in doubt and was held up in his mind. And he was a, a while away. There's one angle where it's clearly not the angle he's seeing. So I understand that process. Like, he thought it was held up, but he wants to have a look at it. Cool. There's a lot riding on this. But his decision is held up. So 
the Tima has to has to not be in any doubt. I think I'm not sure how you how the law goes, but you have to you have to be sure to overturn it. Yeah. Then the Timo was like, cool, I think this is a try. And then he was like, well, maybe not. Let's go have a look again. Then it was game over because there's doubt. So it all hinges on what the referee calls of it. Um, you know, a lot of people are calling for it to go back upstairs and say, listen, I don't know what it is. Make a call. But you also, in the same breath, everyone's like, I want the referees to make decisions. So everyone wants referees to make decisions until it doesn't suit them or until it's controversial. Yeah. And then they're like, don't bother doing that. Go upstairs. So, you know, everything was followed according to the letter of the law. And yeah, it was shit. It was, um, it was big time that. That was, like, I don't, honestly don't think anyone's done anything wrong there. Uh, uh, the the yeah. decision was made according to the law. Like, you can see stuff. You can see that there's no, nothing in between the ball and the ground, but you can't physically see the ball on the ground. We're nitpicking here, but that, or I'm nitpicking, but that's literally what has to happen. You have to mm -hmm. physically see it. You can't be in any doubt. Could there be, have been something between the ball and the ground? Yes, because you couldn't yeah. see the ball on the ground. So, I mean, yeah, it was heartbreaking for Scotland. Um, but, you know, had the referee said, I believe it's a try, can we go upstairs? It wouldn't have been overturned. So then everyone would have been happy. And then the French should have been shitting the bed. So, like, I don't know. Um, I don't know how to fix it. That's that's the biggest question. But no, sorry, long answer. I I think <laughs> it was the correct decision as it played out. I think everything was handled according to the law and the right call. Yeah, I think you've nailed it, Sean. There's not too much I can add to that apart from saying Nick Berry was in the best position he could have been to try and see if there was a grounding or not. So if he couldn't see a grounding, he could have come was, around a little bit more. Maybe, and would yeah, have seen it so. according to the, the 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 camera, but you like these are the what ifs that you only want to apply to this situation. Mm. Like you can't like he's got to be as close to the line as possible. Like you got you got in the mix. Um, mm. Yeah, sorry. I th yeah, I, I was like at least he's on the right side where the ball was. Like there's fewer things that would obstruct his view than yeah if he was maybe on the wrong side. Because sometimes it's like, bruh, you literally on the wrong side for this play. Like you. You're not really helping yourself. And look, I like that he, especially obviously it's a big call, so he didn't want to make a guesswork decision and sort of be like, uh, yes. sometimes I think refs just be like, like maybe if it's not a big call, they just make the call just because, you know what, logically or common sense tells me this should be a try. So I think that's he a, was like... That's massive. Tala, I, sorry, that is massive. What you've said there is huge. Because everyone... Once, like he's, I think he's applied it to the best and he's been as neutral as possible about trying to get it sorted. And I thought it was good. Like he made decisions according, he knows it's a big, it's a big, big decision to be made, but he's really bang on. I, I think I agree totally with you there. Yeah. Look, this, this is the problem. And I think um, AP Cronier tweeted about this as well. We really want a lot from our officials. We want them to be right. We want them to use the technology that they have. We don't want them to use the technology to stop the flow of the game. We also don't want them to take too long to make a decision, but we want them to be accurate in making the decision as quickly as possible that ultimately benefits our team. <laughs> so no, you're it's, right. an it's an impossible situation. And I, I think ultimately, like you said, they did everything that they were supposed to do. And it's just one of those things for Scotland where it's just really unfortunate. And 
that's where the argument sometimes comes into should Scotland maybe have tried to go wide because they had, I think it was Roe basically with half of Murrayfield to himself. And there you can have that clean try because usually in that situation, you'd be one-on-one trying to dot the ball down. Instead of where you have the pickup and drives in that time of the game, there's more of a chance of it being a sort of a, a, a mass of bodies and you're not able to see the ball there. And refs, I've learned most of the time, except if they're Jerome um, Garces um, for a Bledisloe Cup game, they won't, they also stray from not making a big game changing decision unless it's completely obvious. Like they'd rather yeah. let the boys sort it out on the field than go and sort of put their foot in, which is, you know, fair enough. I kind of like that. I think at some point you have to let the teams almost decide it on the field. So with all of that said, even even with that, I still think the 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 officiating team got that right from what they could see. And unfortunately for Scotland, it just wasn't an angle that could prove beyond reasonable doubt that the ball was over the try line. And on yeah, the it's, yeah. I just want to go back to to what you're saying where where people like want they want the referee to make this amount of decisions and they don't want the referee to make these decisions. I was having a chat on uh, on on one of my club groups and we we're talking like the the statement or the request was the TMO mustn't be involved like in things mm. and it's not not related to this try it's related to other things. And, yeah. and I was like, but what do you want? Like, who's going to see what? They're like, no, no, the uh, touch, the ARs need to make up that decision and decide and warrant when it's picked up or when it needs to be done. And I was like, but the referees aren't focusing on that sort of stuff because they know they don't have to. But then we're going to be stuck with long stoppages where they kind of decide whether it is v- 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 um, worthy of foul play or not. And then we mm-hmm. kind of go back five years where we had these long stoppages. So it's really difficult. And I, I think the important thing is, and I, I feel that we do have a larger understanding of it, but probably not 100%, is we need to understand everyone's role and responsibilities on the field. The referee has a responsibility of what he needs to watch and do. The ARs have a responsibility of what they need to watch and do, and so does the TMO. And they're all actively involved in the game. Me personally, I prefer what's going on now. Yeah. I, I would rather the game is played and then the TMO is like, we need to go back and check something. We've had an instance where something was, went back to be checked and, and the referee was like, cool, there's really nothing in that. We're going to play on. We don't often have that because, you know, the TMOs generally make the right decisions when it comes to that. But, you know, that's also about what's going on and, and the strength of the referee um, and all that sort of jazz. But I think we're in a good space with what's going on. We've got a lot of laws and a lot of shit going down, but it's more a case of like, how do we best fix it? To me, I think we're in a really good space of having it managed. It just didn't work out this time. How often has this been the case with with it with something like that? Not a lot, you know. Yeah. Like it's high profile, but it doesn't happen a lot. So is once too much, or are we okay with it? Yeah, I think it's just you'll never be happy when these controversies come. And trust me, from other sports, it's not. Nothing is better. Nothing is worse. Like. And generally, I think rugby is doing the best that it can. Let's, um, so can, I, can I yeah, just, I want to have one more. For all of those South Africans and anyone else moaning about how the Scottish are moaning about it, just pipe down because every country <laughs> is the same. <laughs> every single country is exactly the same. We have people that will moan. 
yeah, because <laughs> it's been crazy. My timeline has just been Scotland being like, and what about this? And what about this? And have you looked at this screenshot? <laughs> yeah, our turn will come. We know how this rugby. Truth. Um, this uh, merry-go-round comes back to us. Um, on the game itself, I mean, I think watching, so I watched the game only like basically on Tuesday and saw people's tweets about, you know, obviously Scotland, I think we can talk about Scotland and their performance and I don't think they did too much wrong. With France, it seemed like, at least to me, I thought they had a actually a pretty good or decent to good performance. Obviously not the standards that they were last year, there's still some issues with their lineouts. Um, their kicking could be a little bit better. But I thought defensively they were very strong. And in the attack, it looked they had much more of an attacking structure than they did against Ireland. Um, Sean, I don't know where you fall on this as to, you know, is this a better France performance? Is there still a lot to be concerned about? And I think also we have to consider that they have a new attack coach, they have a new lineout coach, and those are probably the two places where there's been the most disruption in the game. Yeah. France are not vibing at the moment. Um, so you were asking about France, eh? Yes. Sorry. I've got a bit of culture over there. I thought you were talking about, about Scotland. France are, <clears throat> France are struggling. They really are. It's, they, they've, I've got such a, a rushing 92 feel about France. Like it all should be working, but it isn't. Why? You know? Um, it, it's, it's weird. And they needed this, it, like the, that, that controversy at the end really kind of papers over some cracks because the conversation we'd be having if, if, um, France lost would be, would be crazy. I mean, Jonathan Dante really not in the game again. Um, he's vital for them. Um, Gail Fiku had a great game, I thought, but yeah, like they're trying to get by and I don't know what the issue is. And I don't think it's Antoine Dupont. Like I think him as an individual and the skills he has is out of this world, but there's more, like he gives them more comfort in their mind, like mentally when they play, you know, like they just, I wouldn't I don't say they blindly follow what he does, but they all trust what he does. But I don't think they trust everywhere else with everyone else. So it's very interesting. Um, that. They seem to be in, in a bit of trouble because I don't see this turning around drastically by the end of the Six Nations. Um, so, like, where does that leave them for the rest of the year, you know? Yeah, you know what? I think in some ways, yeah, I disagree somewhat just on the fact that, you know what, this is a sort of, this is their transition year, especially because their best player is playing another sport. And there's some things that they're going to now find out about, okay, how far can we take someone like Maxine Lupu? Um, can Ligarek um, step into the shoes and be the number two? With um, Jalibe and Tamak, I think now, especially with Tupan not being there, we're seeing with Jalibe, oh, he's not really good with controlling the kicking game as much as Tamak was. Like Scotland and Ireland in the last two weeks, they've been the ones that have kicked more and kicked deeper than France and sort of done what France usually does to other teams. And mm. France is sort of battling with that. And then there's obviously some fundamental things that maybe they've been there more or less in the last two, three years, but are now being really exposed by teams. So France have, a, have an issue with the high ball. Um, the Springboks obviously exploited that. And 
it seems like teams are really targeting <laughs> Damien Pino's wing because obviously he can sort of go on a bit of a walkabout when he wants to. Um, the lineout is a is a mess right now. Uh, does that get fixed if the likes of Lamar and um, you know um, Taufifanua are there? Yeah. I thought Walkie would fix it, but it was <laughs> almost as bad as it was last week against Ireland. But at least I think. You'd rather be winning and having these problems. Hopefully, if you can still acknowledge that the problems are there, then losing and and having these problems. So I guess it's it just depends on what their response is to that. So is France really now sort of gonna forget, you know, how good they were the last four years and the high standards that they have? Or, you know, do we sort of give them a bit more credit to say, look, this team they'll figure this out. Maybe it's going to be a bit of a longer-term thing. And luckily for them, they have enough quality that they can play at 50-60% and beat the rest of the Six Nations teams. So the one thing that was good from last week is last week they gave up. They completely gave up in the game. And this week there was opportunities to give up because Scotland got themselves uh, 10 points ahead at one stage, six points ahead at another stage. And they kept on going, and they and they got themselves to a win, and their defense was a lot better than the sometimes laughable effort of last week. So, yeah, I I feel maybe yeah I I feel there's a there's still a bit to France there. I think the main things to sort out sooner rather than later is um, the high ball and the lineout, uh, the high ball, the lineout, the kicking game, and the breakdown. So breakdown is just get. I think for now, don't try the fancy stuff. Just get people to the breakdown to clean, to generate the quick board. I think too many of the forwards are standing out, being ready to be carriers instead of just getting in there and racking. But it was better than last week. Uh, Eyeball, sort that out. And kicking, just make sure that you're being a bit more strategic with your kicking game. And the line-out, yes, yeah. Uh, the the line-out coach... <laughs> has a lot of work on his hands. Like they just need to find ways to get a bit more accurate, get some speed, do some, you know, some lineup move tricks to just get past opposition because none of the ball that they're getting from lineups is clean. I'm with you. I'm with you hundred percent of the way. Yeah. And then just on the Scotland side, I don't know. It's a, it's a difficult one. It seems like the typical match from the last few years played really well. Most things are at a good, if not very good level, but it's um, just being ruthless and get, and taking your chance to the 22. Eight entries into the 22, they only scored from two of them, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's... Well, I don't know what it is. It's, I talk about, like, the French dart, but I think Scotland have got it. Like, are they having this... Like hard done by vibe, like oh shit, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna poo this or mm-hmm. like what what's going on? But the one thing is for sure, like I I would argue that that try that they scored where they turned it and they strung their, that oh, they played brilliant. I think it was White's try. Yeah, um, that try is arguably better than the All Blacks on turnover ball. Mm. Like just that one try, like they've been doing it for a while. The other thing, I, I think Scotland are really good at breaking the line. So in, in, if they're in anywhere outside their 22, in between the 22 and the other 22, they're, they're good there. Like Huey Pilotto, 
Platu, they do they do well there. Um, their wingers do well there. Uh, Duan does well. Like Darcy Graham or Carl Stan on the other side also does well. They make yards. But I I think that they struggle. And France were excellent on defense, but they struggle in those last ten meters. That that, that oh. crunch time to go and score that try. They score great open field breakaway tries. If they recycle it quickly, they get going. But they seem to struggle with with that other that last ten meters. Yeah. Maybe it was only on Saturday, but no. I mean, Tupelo right. he's a he's a big twelve. Like he can run hard. I know he's got that great kick pass run, but he can run and crunch it. We saw what England did with Ollie Lawrence or Bath. Sorry, uh, what Bath do with Ollie Lawrence? Like they they could do with that because they got their forwards like picking and driving, picking and driving. Put a big boy in the back line, make the defense think about it. I don't know what the issue is, but that is probably somewhere they need to fix because, as you mentioned, the conversion rate is not great. And you'd oh. expect with someone like Russell, who's incredible at reading the game and seeing what's going on, and he's sure as hell not shy to give it a go. Like, they should be doing something. So is their attacking shape or their mindset wrong in that last 10 meters? I don't know, but they've got to fix it. Yeah, I think it's just ultimately you've hit the nail on the head. Something just stops for them when they get into the last 10. I think, yeah, we talked about it last week. Do they need maybe a big ball carrier just that can help suck in defenders? Like they've got Tupelo too. They've got someone like Dempsey. Turner can really carry the ball up strong. But Dempsey's a great shot. Yeah, but do they need maybe one person, maybe two people? Dodge is also pretty good to be fair to him. That can really can just suck back, in defenders. The back three can do it. Yeah, I mean, maybe they should use Duhan in sort of that like... Crash so I, I meant the Lucy's. But you're 100% right. Duan can crash the ball. That, I have noticed, I don't know, I don't know if I'm making it up, but it does seem to me that they're bringing him in more on those sort of things. But they should be. The thing is, is I think that they become one-dimensional there. Like, they're like, cool, we're going to show you that we do have a pack. So let's go for it. But having Duan, like, put Duan in the midfield and, and put Hugh Jones on the wing. Yeah. Like in the last 10 meters, if it's getting slow, then do that. The defense will shit themselves. Like, there's no doubt about it in my mind. You'd have to double up there because you know that if he's running a short ball, I just don't know if it's in his like makeup, like if he wants to go front on and smash people in the face, you know, to score a try because he's a winger and they don't particularly, that's not their avenue of attack. But do that, like change it up, do something. Yeah, I think it's. The way I see how teams score is, especially when they get in the 22 and it's like sort of that concerted pressure type of scores is either you roll over teams by just overpowering them, they just run out of defenders and you just sort of go over, or you do some trickery, basically, and manufacture space. Like obviously the defense is set and you do something that can open up the gap and then you get that line break and then you can capitalize on it. So I guess Scotland should lean on the latter because they've got that 10, 12, 13 axis. That's great. But yeah, I think they need to set it up with those big ball carriers. So yeah, maybe but, just finding ways of getting the defense sucked in a bit more. Then you do a huge below to Finn Russell loop thingy. You can open up again and then it's just simple hands to get to the try line. Because it's not like they miss too many try scoring opportunities. It's just that they didn't create that many. I mean, apart from they just the try at the start and the try at the end. Yeah. yeah. You know, the thing is, I, I feel that 
they do with some trickery create space and line breaks. Yeah. But then they don't convert it later. Mm. Personally, and this is just on the weekend, I because the fullback and the winger are up, the closer you get to the try line, like they can't then muck about with the defense because everyone's marking man up. So that's the thing. They can create that and they need to convert from quickly from from when they make a line break. They need to absolutely dominate to either score or get a penalty. But once everyone's up in the line on defense, that's when things get hard for them. And that's when you need a big guy to come through. Because even if you have Duan, I mean, imagine Finn plays two Pilotu and then Duan's on his shoulder and you play the big man or you can then send it wide because then yeah. the defense will be sucked in because they will double up on Duan if he's running a crash ball. Yeah. There's no they, doubt about it. I feel like they do those moves and then it's just the after of that. Like, okay, you've got people sucked in. You've made someone do like a big lost dish tackle with the inside running ball. Now what? what's the next move or the next step? I think that's where things don't really get executed for them. Um, mm. Just quickly on just, yeah, because we need to move on to the next games. But yeah, very quick shout outs to um, Harry Patterson for an amazing debut at fullback. He did Amen. most of the things right. Jeez, uh, you, sure. you'd be pretty happy with that. And that's after Carl Rowe was also really good at 15 last week. So a bit of depth now for Scotland at 15. I thought Finn Russell controlled the game so well at 10. Um, yeah, it's just unfortunate that he and the team just needs to figure out what they do once they get those opportunities and 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 pins a team in their 22 because they had all the ball and all the uh, territory to uh, all the territory and the ball to do something with it. And then yeah, Aldred and Fiku stood up for France for me. And obviously we talked about uh, Louis Bielberry. Um, but yeah, I don't know if there's any other players you want to shout out, Sean? Nope, you nailed it. Awesome. Okay, let's move on to England versus Wales. England narrowly beating Wales uh, 16 points to 14 at Twickenham. Um, we, we know by now that these teams have faced each other, it feels like 45 times the last few weeks, um, the last few months. And this is always a tight game. Um, but Wales were the ones that went ahead and got themselves a bit of a lead. And then England came back in the last 20 minutes, the Dingwall try and then a penalty later as well. So Sean, I haven't had a chance to watch this game. So yeah, you can sort of take the conversation from here. Well, yeah, it, it was another ugly game. So <laughs> the good thing for England is they kept Wales scoreless in the second half. Um, I think Wales had 14 points before halftime. They did. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's that for England, which is great. What I found very interesting is England, when they were playing with 13 men, they scored a try. I mean, I thought Ben Earl was excellent. Um, probably one of the major standouts in that game. Um, and they scored off the back of a scrum. But then they kind of, I don't, I don't know what it was. Like, that's, that's the thing. You, you're playing two sides that are really like just down on themselves. And I don't know, there, there's, so, there's new things. There's stuff that they maybe don't trust fully because it hasn't worked. I don't know. It's not working. Um, and Well, so no, that's that shit. That wasn't right. It's not that it's not working. It just, when two of them come together, then we get this game. And it wasn't great. Um, yeah, just, yeah, not ideal. Um, I think I, I did mention, I mentioned last week and I mentioned earlier, but they need a bigger 12 or a bigger 13. Um, that will fix a lot of their problems. So 
uh, that's the kind of platform that they need. That, that's the kind of platform that like four or five meters past the gain line and then doesn't matter who they've got a 10 because their 10s are very handy at the moment can just start working it and then yeah. things will change. But this is not great for England moving forward. Like they will get in their groove because I really think a 12 will change so much of the game. I really think it, it will really benefit them hugely. But moving forward, they've got to try and manufacture another 12 because they've got Lawrence and they've got... Um, too loggy but other than that they don't have a big 12 so moving forward in three four years time like is their game playing are they going to be comfortable enough in it um so they can work around it should they, those two players not be available or whatever the case may be um too loggy going to the next world cup is touch and go so lawrence is your guy like what are you going to do so they've got a lot to work on and it's always nice to work with a new team and new people and new things when yeah. things are going well and winning but things haven't been great um so it's going to be interesting for for england moving forward wales I don't know. They got youngsters. Like that's the only bonus they have. They've got youngsters and and they pushed England all the way. So probably a team to watch out for in a few years. Um hopefully Gatland has got over his oh shit, I didn't know what I was getting myself into vibes. Um <laughs> he always he always will. Like I think he's a little bit more more on top of it than than the way he made it out to be. But yeah, interesting times ahead. But at the moment, like if we look at it from a Six Nations point of view, are either of them going to be challenging for the title um, next year? I don't know. It doesn't look it. Italy mm. look more like they've got more of a chance at the moment, you know? Mm. So England and Wales, you always worry about them because they're England and Wales. But at the moment, you, you go there, you stay focused, you can put 30 on them. You, you probably can. So interesting moving forward. So I'm just looking at stats at the stats from the game. It seems like Wales had quite a lot of a lot of ball, but they just couldn't really get territory, and they just obviously couldn't um, like create enough chances to, uh, you know, you know, get the points that they need to beat England. So is it I don't know is it a game manager? Is it nine and ten? They just need more experience and just to run the game better. You know, is it maybe in a, I don't know like we obviously had the issues with. Um, Costello and uh, Davies last week with them kicking and them sort of being scapegoated in a way, or is it just you know the attacking structures and obviously the the young players they have to find a way to sort of connect with each other. Probably, probably that. Probably just some time time in the saddle. Uh, I'm not sure. I know Sheedy's moving back to Wales to play. I think he's going to Cardiff. Oh. So he obviously wants to fight for for the number ten jersey, and then they've got Anscombe who's still in the mix. Um, that probably I think most things hinge on a, a, a 10 that can maybe not be as um, during the headlights which is no disrespect to Lloyd like he's played well um, I thought I thought Wales have handled themselves pretty well you would expect with the midfield they have of Tompkins and North that they'd kind of be a little bit better and a little bit more in the mix especially with North mm-hmm. and Tompkins and running those those crash balls so the, the one thing about England is their, their midfield are pretty handy on defense. So you've got to work your way around them. But I thought they probably could have done a little bit better. The thing is, as I mentioned, is Wales have, they have young guys all over the show. So it can only get better. Like that's the, the truth of it. If it doesn't get better from this, then Gatlin's in, in a lot of trouble. But it can only get better. It's just not going to get better, in, massively better in 2024. Yeah, still a young team. But yeah, I mean, obviously... Not that I think any Welsh person want to hear this, but 
two-point loss with this team in Twickenham, not I think that's a pretty decent result. A great result, eh? Yeah. For England, it's just so interesting, obviously, with the Felix Jones influence, you can only but think of it from a South Africa perspective in the last six years. So they obviously didn't really have that much ball. And yeah, they have some of the ingredients that you need to, you know, if you want to execute the Bok um, game plan. Um, yeah, so I think they can do the defensive thing. They can do the high intensity thing. It's just now what can they use to capitalize on creating those mistakes? Like the box have a few amazing wonder players that can create opportunities and obviously just a fantastic set piece. Now, what's England's thing going to be? Is it George Ford and or who, whichever fly off they choose, like running the show and being able to keep them in an opponent's half? Do they have maybe those like players that can turn a game on their head? Um, is a is maybe it could be the set piece in a year or two with all of those young props that are coming through that seem to be fantastic. Um, so I, it's really interesting to see what's the next step after they've now really got them their heads around the 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 ultra rush defense. Yeah, that they on their outside backs thirteen, eleven, and fourteen didn't probably have the best showing and that's where where the crunch is but you can see that they are narrow and they are pushing up out wide um but it takes a while that's the one thing we know what did Russie say when when he took over he said it would take a year and a half for the for the team to get used to the defensive systems so we'll see we'll see it grow and they will get better the thing is is are England going to become the side that just defend, defend, defend and win 6-3? You know, that, are they able to go out of that space? Are they able to excite more in the backs um, with ball in hand? They definitely got it in the Lucys, um, obviously, notably with Ben Earl. So mm. they need to light it up somewhere else. Um, and, you know, it's, it's stages, but the defense is the most important and they're going to have to work on that. So... I don't see England getting massively more exciting in the next six months to a year. Like maybe the next uh, six nations, things will change up a little bit. But it's going to be interesting times moving forward, watching them and how they evolve as a defending and an attacking side. Mm. My kingdom for props and the midfield, pretty much. I think sums it up for England. Um, yeah. I think let's move on to Italy, Ireland. So obviously Ireland winning 36 points to nil. I think it's the first nilling Ireland had in like a long time. Um, so that's a big thing. Ireland get the bonus point win. Um, actually, talking about it quickly from the Italy perspective, I don't think they were that bad, like to get a zero. Um, I just also think, yeah, it's one of those one Ireland is just obviously in that top tier of nations and over and above the rest of the, especially the rest of the six nations. And on Italy's side, there's only so much they can do, especially with some of the entries that they have, that if they have a pretty sort of a green um, lustre like they did this weekend with Izeko and Zuliani playing um, in the, in, in the loose trio, and some of the other chains they had to have in lock and at the front row, like they, yeah, like they can only do so much against a team like Ireland. And I think that's what's reflected in the game at the end. Yeah. They, they do, they have been building, but 
they do have players that can move forward. I think a couple of injuries will really hurt them. But other than that, I think they're in a relatively good space. Their midfield can now play 12 or 13. I don't think their midfield was outstanding this weekend, but they can move guys around and do other things. Um, probably an unpopular opinion. I think that Tommy Allen might be a great shot at 15 for them moving forward. Um, yeah. You obviously want to have Capuazzo starting, but should he be at 15? I don't know. Maybe, um, shit, I don't know how you're going to do it because between Garbisi, Allen, and Capuazzo, like, what are you, what are you going to do? It's going to be hard to have all of them on the field, but you might have to. And just going back to Italy, I don't think they were that bad, as you mentioned. I, I tend to agree with you there. I, I just think the last sort of 45 minutes of the game kind of got away from them. They were, they were close to being 12, um, 12 nil down at halftime. They weren't that far away from that. Um, having said that, they could have been a lot more down at halftime, but that probably was, was the big one, the try, Jack Conan's try on the 37th minute and then Dan Sheehan's try on the 50th minute. That pretty much broke them. Mm. So, yeah, but it's hard to get nil, man. It's really difficult to not score in a rugby game. Like, <laughs> it's, it, it's, yeah. it is. And they just... They were deflated, man. They just, I don't know. It was the moment at the Aviva too much when, when it started happening, like so early in the game, did they think, okay, this is going to be a shit show. And then they just pack up mentally. I don't know. But mm. yeah, yeah, it sucks. I mean, it's improvement on the New Zealand, the France game, I guess, from last year. So yeah, some positive. Yeah. Ireland, I mean, yeah, they're obviously imperious form. <sighs> James Lowe and their backline was just dancing through and just all taking turns and just breaking through the the, the Italian defense. Um, Jack Crowley, I think, had a really good game. Um, goal kicking aside, that could have been a little bit better. Um, and the forwards, I mean, it's not, I don't think this was Ireland at even third gear, to be honest, but they can just put together a string of rugby that can obviously just pile up points against an opposition. Yeah. Jack Crowley was incredible. He he was playing with a little bit of freedom and he was kind of getting into this test rugby vibe a little bit more, looks a little bit more um, um, settled. So he was just doing some outrageous things. But I'm glad he got over the line. His first try for, for Ireland It's going to be the first of a few, I reckon. I don't think he's, he's going to not be involved He'll be involved for a long time, so he'll definitely be getting more points um, by crossing the trial line. So, yeah, he, he was playing well. I'm looking forward to watching him uh, for many years to come. Yeah, and it looks like Ireland now, because they changed their team a bit, they, I think, basically, they rotated slash rested people that had a few injury doubts. Like, Ireland now getting to a place where, apart from one or two positions, they genuinely have two or three players in each position that can really play, like, at a high level for them. So. You know, you playing the likes of Bielam and well, McCarthy seems to be first choice, but he's still young. Baird, Conan, Craig Casey, McCloskey, Nash, and you still are able to really just outclass Italy. So that's obviously a very big, a good sign for them. Maybe the one thing that Farrell's learned from last cycle is to really build and develop and trust that you know second level of players. Yeah, they. They're building up a squad. We all know how important squads are, but they've got squad players in them where you're getting to the stage, you're going, oof, I probably would have started the guy on the bench. 
which is great for Ireland moving forward. Like having two, three players in each position and you're able to march on this way um, is big. Um, I don't know what they're going to do at nine. Uh, I know obviously it's Connor Murray, Gibson Park and Casey, but Connor Murray's not going to be around for a long time. And Casey did have a little bit of a, well, he had a couple of wobbles in the game. So I'd like to see him get a little bit more game time just to get back in, get back in the mix. But uh, they'll probably probably be doing that in South Africa um, when he when when Ireland come down. But yeah, Ireland are looking menacing, and they could they're going to make up a bulk of that Six Nations squad. Like as the way things stand, I don't know if Gatlin's able to take one Welsh player. Uh, it's not even Gatlin. Sorry, if Carroll was <laughs> able to take one Welsh player. Even thinking, Gatlin. I mean, it's only been the last only the last forty five years Gatlin's been coaching the Lions. So <laughs> I apologize. Even Gatlin can't um, find enough room for the George Norths and the Talupe Falatals when this island squad is humming like this. Um, oh, yeah. What I, happens if Falatal gets gets fit again? Is he going to the to Australia? Probably not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unless uh, Gatlin is the coach again. No? Yeah, it's it's yeah, like you you there's very few positions let's put it that, that way there's very few positions where the, an Irish person is not either the best or the second best player in their position if not both of them actually um yeah great performance from Crowley I love McCarthy just he's I think he's almost being molded as like Peter Steff you know Mark II like in the way he defends like he shoots up on people and obviously tries to absolutely murder them and I really like how he does that um, Dor- Doris at seven was great. I think that was his first test as a cap as captain of Ireland, and he did really well. Obviously, he's a world class player that you know is going to be good. Having Jack Conan as your second choice eight is a little bit unfair. Obviously, he was the Lions starter, and he did really well um, in his role and just his ability to link up and to carry up the ball, and that's also really good. McCloskey was good. Henshaw. I thought it might be the end near the end of Henshaw's career, but every time I start to doubt him, he looks like a million bucks again. Like the only thing that betrays him is his body. And yeah, Casey, speaking of bodies, I think Casey, the only problem is, you know, he's just so small. <laughs> so he can get thrown around a little bit. But yeah, I think Ireland really played well in general. Um, Sean, do you want to maybe round up with, you know, maybe uh, play of the week, try of the week, that sort of stuff? Try of the week will definitely be Scotland's try. Um, mm. I thought that was that was outstanding. Um, play of the uh, player of the week. I'm gonna go Jack Crowley. Um, mm. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect, but I I really liked it. That the playing him playing comfortably and him playing in the groove is is dangerous for a lot of people, and it's great for Ireland. So I'm gonna go. Play of the week, but you are going to mention a few players and remind me that I'm horribly wrong. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I think play of the week is less obvious than it was last week. I think this week wasn't like the best rugby all across the board for multiple reasons. Hard to argue against the Scotland try. I'll try to push the LBB try because it was so good, and the oh, I can't remember who scored it at the end, but the one where Crowley did the pass. Um, out of contact, I think it was low. Who was it? Oh, Sheehan. Um, the the Sheehan second try. So yeah, I think those are some of the the, the two that you can push there. Um, 
but yeah, let's let's then go for um for 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 that um why Ben White tried to be uh, try of the week player of the week. I'll go. I like to give it to the player that performed in a big game. So I think I'll go for Finn Russell. I think I'm also not being held at gunpoint by Cooks in saying this, but I think he controlled the game really well. I think he really played out of his socks and was just masterful at controlling like the tempo and the pace and the territory um, from 10 and obviously just a lot of the attacking sparks. It's just now figuring out that last piece of the puzzle. Um, Hugh Jones also had a really good game. I talked about Patterson, but yeah, let's push for Finn Russell and, and just show him some love because yeah, <laughs> it doesn't, I mean, there's no more Grand Slam, unfortunately, for Scotland. But yes, let's um, end off the podcast here. Just a nice um, review of the Six Nations round two. This weekend, we can look forward to um, the URC coming back. Um, so we'll have a fourth round of URC fixtures and fixtures in the top 14 as well. Um, URC, from a South African context, have two South African derbies as well. The Lions, the Bulls going to Johannesburg to face the Lions and the Storm is going to Durban to face the Sharks. So a lot that we can break down there. I'm sure we'll see some big matchups and, and some big games. And also Leinster facing Benetton, a top-of-the-table clash and to look forward to. So we will we will definitely obviously review the the games from that from next week as well. We also just look out for our um rugby Europe championship review with um, Francisco Isaac. It's really good and he can teach us a lot about what's happening um in the in the REC and 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 the teams that are performing there. So please listen to that. You know you know the drill by now. Follow us on all of our social media channels to uh, follow any all the content and the, all the things that we're posting out there. Please um, like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Please give us a rating. I think I'm going to start reading out some of these five-star ratings just to encourage um, some good feedback as well. And yes, we will definitely see you in the next podcast. Bye-bye.